We are in Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and we will start reading from verse 16, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, the perseverance, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Okay, so, Romans chapter 8, verse, verse, uh, verse 16 says that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. There is a testimony that comes when the Holy Spirit fills us that lets us know that we are children of God. From that moment in which Jesus came into my life, I knew that something was different. There were occasional doubts after that, but I can tell you, at this stage in my life, there are zero doubts. None at this time in my life. None that I am a child of God because His Spirit testifies to my spirit. And as you walk with Him, as you get to know Him more, your assurance grows. You know, the Christian life is, is, is a journey. And, and, uh, and as you walk with Him, as you spend more time with Him, your testimony, your testimony of Him has more power with people. It really does. It affects people all the more. And, uh, um, as you grow with Him, as you walk with Him, and I'm talking over years and years as you grow with Him and get to know Him, there's a greater strength and a greater testimony in the power of conviction to your words. Your words have power. It is not just reciting words. You can have one man just recite words and another man say the same words, but it has enormous power because of the walk, because of the journey that he's been through. It's the power that comes with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. It is so good to grow with Jesus. So good to grow with Jesus. I love to be with him. I love to grow with him. I love to get to know Him, and my perspective, my view of Him changes throughout my life in in certain ways. He becomes a a dearer, closer friend because we have all these memories together. Just like your view of your father will change with time. You know, you you, you see him not so much as, say, a disciplinarian or something, or or someone who's going to play ball with you outside when when, when he comes home. 
you're going to see him differently. You're going to see him as, as a wise counselor. You're going to walk with him more as a friend. It's the same with God. Your, your walk with God develops. His spirit testifies to our spirit that we are his children. Verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So what we dealt with in the beginning of this book was justification. And the justification dealt with our past aspect. And then he dealt with sanctification. The sanctification was our present aspect. And now he's going to deal with glorification. That is our future aspect in Christ. And, and uh, uh, what we will find, what we will find throughout this chapter is that, that many things are going to be expressed in what's called an aorist tense, which means that it is present and ongoing. All of this is a present and ongoing relationship. He says that, and if we're children, we're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If we are children of God, we're also heirs. Heirs means people who are going to inherit from our Father. He doesn't just call us children. He makes us heir. You know, so it's one thing to say, you're like a son to me. And it's another thing to say, and I've written you into my will. You know, that, that, that's another thing. And that's exactly what God does. He says that you are now heirs. You are heirs of God. And you are fellow heirs with Christ. So Jesus is the Son of God and He welcomes us in as his brothers. I mean, everything, everything that Jesus has, he shares with us. He is so good. He shares with us. We have this fellowship with him. I mean, can you imagine the richness of this? Where he invites in the saints and he says, come and share, share this inheritance with me. I mean, how many people do that? This is who our Jesus is. He is so good, so kind, so gracious, giving of himself in every way. And he doesn't stop there. He wants the best for us. And so what he does is he calls us to be like him. And he challenges us to be like him. That we are to be like him. Where our love is to be always in the other's best interest. So woman, if some young man comes to you and says, you know, if you really love this, you'll do this for me. If that is not in your best interest, rather than his best interest, it is not the love of God. The love of God is always in the other's best interest. This is what Jesus models for us. And he says, we are fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. If we indeed suffer with him, And we do. And we do. If you walk with Christ, you will suffer with Him. If you don't walk with Christ as a believer, if you don't walk with Christ, the devil will have a heyday with you. And you'll suffer in that way. Your life will become really miserable. If you walk with Christ, you will suffer because you walk with Him. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to walk godly in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us that we will be persecuted. So it's not, it's not a matter of, of, uh, uh, 
you think this will really happen? It will actually happen. There will be persecution. Now, people say, well, you know, Dr. Tu, are you really getting persecuted? And this, Listen, I don't know what persecution is compared to what fellow believers in other parts of the world go through. I've never been, you know, had to flee from my home because of mobs wanting to kill my family. There are people around the world that have to go through that all the time, and that has happened throughout history. So whatever I have gone through in persecution, it's not much. You know, what have I gone through? People, people writing things about me on the internet, big whoop, you get, you get through that. And, uh, uh, people saying, you, you know, things that, that hurt my feelings, you get over that. This is the extent to which I've, I've, I've endured persecution. And I suspect most of the people in this room, that's the extent. Now, if you've come from another land, it could be very different. But most of the people in this room, so really what we've gone through, it's not like, oh, brother, you don't know the trouble I've seen. And, uh, it's not like that. It's really not like that. Really, what I've been through as far as persecution is kindergarten. That's, I think, the level. But here's what Jesus says. And Jesus says in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, he warns us. And we'll read verse 18 through 20, and then we'll jump down to verse 25. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Verse 25 of John chapter 15. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus said, if the world hates you, I just want you to know something. They they hated me. Before they hated you. They hated me before they hated you. The Bible tells us in, in, in Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus was like one from whom men hid their face. Have you ever been on the receiving end when, when people have just turned away from you because they, they looked at you as, as somehow disgusting? I still feel this pain. I remember in college, that uh, uh, there, there was this 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 lovely young woman, and several guys were standing around talking, and I, and you know they were saying something, and I said just a couple little things, and she looked at me like, <laughs> boom, I was bruised, <laughs> just the way she just turned away from me. Everybody has been on the receiving end of something. Jesus said, just remember, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. And he says, he says, they hated me without a cause. Sometimes people will come against you and you'll be like, what have I done? I've only done good for you. Jesus warned us. He says, they hated me without a cause. He says, they hated me without a cause. Jesus has been through this. He's been through this more than any of us. More than any of us. He's been through this. In Romans chapter 15, Jesus is speaking and, and, uh, in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. Jesus is speaking to his Father. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. Because they hated God, 
they went right after his son. Jesus said to them, if you knew the scriptures, you would know me because Moses wrote about me. That's what he said in in John chapter 5. He says, Moses wrote about me. You search the scriptures because in them you think that you have life. It's the scriptures that bear witness of me. If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. Moses wrote about me, Jesus said. The reproaches that came toward you, they fell upon me. The reproaches that come at Jesus will fall upon you in your life. When you make a stand for Jesus, now if you sit quiet and you never let people know that you love Jesus, very little will come your way. But it's when you let your testimony be known that there is great blessing. And the reproaches with which they reproach Him will fall upon you. This is what He warns us about. We are warned about the things that will come upon us. We have these warnings. Um, look in Second Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We get multiple warnings about persecutions. So when things happen in your life, I want you to remember this teaching. I want you to remember that Jesus has warned us over and over again. And why is this happening? If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. How does it describe Him? It describes Him as the, as, as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I mean, He doesn't have to treat us this way. He doesn't have to. But He comes to us as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. I mean, think about this. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Are you going through something? Is there someone in your life who is sick, who is hurting, who is in pain? Is there something going on in your life who comforts us in all our affliction? God comforts us. He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He says, you've come to the right place. (laughs) You come to me, God says, you've come to the right place. Comfort is my middle name. I can take care of that who comforts us in all our affliction. I can think of times in my life where, where, where just things got really heavy, things going on with my children, things going on with my family, things that, that were really challenging me. And I come before God and I sit before Him and I look at His Word and I pray and I look at His Word and I am greatly comforted. He strengthens me. The Holy Spirit strengthens me so that... He comforts us in all our affliction in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And God says, I comfort you in this way so that you can comfort others. Because you have been through this and been comforted, now you can comfort others. I mean, you see how God does this. He never just is, is, is just pouring this into our lives to keep it right there. It's always to be extended 
to go forth, to go to another place. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, how many times does he have to warn us? The sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. It's abundant. You say, I'm not suffering. Not but just wait. There'll be a time. There'll come a time when you're suffering. There'll come a time when I don't know, your liver doesn't work, or your kidneys don't work, or or your back is, you know, when your back's messed up and messes up everything. There'll come a time when there's someone in your life that, that is really struggling. Be one of your children. And you'd give your life a hundred times for your child if you could. And you need comfort. He says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Our comfort is abundant, abundant through Christ. Every good gift that comes to us is boom, right through that the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus. Our comfort is abundant through Christ. God says, come to me. I'm the God of all comfort. I'm going to funnel it right to you through Christ. Through Jesus, it comes to us. This is why forever we shall praise Jesus. Forever we shall praise Him. Because Jesus is so utterly good in everything. And He just funnels His goodness toward us all through Jesus Christ. He's the best. He's the best in every way. So this is what He says. If indeed we suffer with Him in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that also we may be glorified with Him. We're going to be glorified with Him. I mean, I'm going to be glorified with you? He's come with me. Come with me. He's talking about when He returns, when He comes in His second coming, with His with the believers with him, with his saints with him, he says, "This is you, you're going to get, you're going to be glorified, and you're going to reign with me." I mean, it's amazing. So, look in in, in verse in verse uh, verse eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to com- be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there is this amazing glory. So he talks about. That we're going to be glorified with Him and this glory that's going to be revealed. I mean, the Bible talks about this. There are these promises. And remember, when the Bible mentions this, it has to happen. It has to happen. So if you look in Revelation, Revelation chapter 9, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God, purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if you, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They will reign. They will reign upon the earth. This is what the Bible talks about. He says that we are going to reign upon this earth with Christ when He returns. Look in Roman in Revelation chapter twenty, verse six. Revelation chapter twenty, verse six. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with Him for a thousand years. This is going to. He's speaking about the millennial kingdom that's going to come on earth. There's a millennial kingdom that's going to come on earth. This is different than what's going to happen after the thousand years. But there's going to be a thousand year period of a millennial reign. 
of Jesus on this earth, and we will be reigning with Him. I mean, why He chooses us, I don't know. You'd think the angels would do a much better job at this. I mean, but that's what he does. He shares all this. And he, we see these promises in Isaiah 65, verse 17 through the end, 17 through 25. He talks about this kingdom that's going to come on earth. He says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will, will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100 and the one who does not reach to the age of 100 will be thought accursed. And it talks about how they will be building houses and these things. And it says, and, and, uh, um, in verse 24 of Isaiah 65, And it will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And the dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. I mean, look at the promises that he says. This is, this is what's coming. This is what he talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. You can't even compare them. You can't even compare them. It's not black and white. You can't even compare them. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. He says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What he's talking about is when he returns with his saints, he says, this is what creation is longing for. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation was subject to futility. When? In the fall. In the fall. Prior to the fall, it was a little bit different. In Genesis chapter 1, remember the fall was in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 26 through 28 of Genesis chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth, all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So human beings, mankind, humankind, was to, was to have authority over all creatures on the earth. He says that, that, uh, uh, that they were to rule over all of them. Now, I, I don't rule over all creatures on the earth. I mean, I had dogs all the time growing up, and I kind of had to beg them to listen to me. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was different before the fall. It was really different. He says they, they ruled over everything. You could just call a bird out of the sky and it'd come to you. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I mean, how well do you rule over the fish of the sea? 
I mean, you got fish in a tank. How well do they listen to you when you call them? They had total, humans had total rain. He says, it's going to go back to that. It's going to go back to that. He says that the earth, the earth, it says creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So God subjected it. In that fall, something was lost. We studied, when we studied the book of Genesis, we studied genetic entropy. And if you remember, uh, entropic decay, an entropic decay curve is, is, is like this. You know, so it, it, you, you have all of this order and, and it just goes to this massive disorder and so it kind of curls around like this. And we are in this lower tail end of this, this normal entropic decay. So things don't continually change when you're down there. But there's dramatic change at first. Dramatic change and then things spin around. And you can track this in the Bible. You can see they went from very long lifespans to shorter and shorter. From no death to very long lifespans to shorter and shorter. And then it curled around at the age of the patriarchs. You you start seeing that the, the, uh, 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 the, the, at the time of Abraham, the, the, the lifespans, that was that curl part. And then further on out, and then very little fluctuation. And you see this, this entropic decay. I mean, and, and you can track this thing. That the creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's this freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when the children of God come, he says, look, you want a little taste of what the glory is going to be? Let me give you a little taste of it. So he's going to give us like like four verses of what the glory is going to be like. He said, you can't even compare your sufferings. And here's a guy who was who was just killed with stones. Here's a guy who was whipped so many times. Here's a guy who went through multiple shipwrecks, was imprisoned multiple times. He says, all of that can't be compared to what we're going to be seeing. And so this is the promise, the promise that he gives us. Then he says, um, verse... Verse uh, 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is speaking of the resurrection, because what God has done is an amazing thing. He's changed our spirit. He's put in us a new nature. Remember, He put in us this new nature. When we have the new nature, we cannot walk in the flesh any longer. We can't. We can walk according to the flesh. We can mimic this, but we're no longer in the flesh. We can walk according to it, in it. We can walk according to it, but we're no longer in it. And when we walk according to it, we set ourselves up for all sorts of trouble. But He puts this new nature in us. But now this new nature is set in a body which is not yet redeemed. It's not the resurrected body yet. So there's this conflict. There's this conflict of a new nature that is loving God and in this decaying body. And so you see these people, they love God so much. And then they start, you know, getting aged and things and their body doesn't work anymore. And it's hard for them to be out ministering. And the body is just wearing out. The nature is the same. The new nature is there, but the body is wearing out. And that's what he's saying. He says there's this groaning that's occurring. For we know that the whole creation groans in verse 22 and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. That's the resurrection. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes? For what he's already seen, for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We were waiting eagerly for the redemption of our body. This is what we talked about last time. The promise to the believers that just as Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, believers will rise from the dead. And a, a couple of weeks ago we, we talked about, we talked about the, the chemistry of the resurrection. And, and I, I just posted that on, on, on my YouTube channel on uh, Friday, and it had like 4,000 views this morning. I mean, it, it's really taken off. So a lot of people want to know about the chemistry of the resurrection. Remember, that, that was the one that, that Paul said, and, and, and you ask, with what kind of body are you raised? You fool! Do you not know? And, you know, we thought that it was actually a pretty good question. With what kind of body are we raised? That that one's really taken off because lots of people want to know what what's the resurrected body? What might it be like? I don't know if it's like that, but what might it be like? But in any case, uh, uh, so you see now. Let's look at verse twenty six of Romans chapter eight. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it says in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, because we've got these fallen bodies that are not yet redeemed. But we've got the new nature. So what does he do? He takes that Spirit within us, and he helps us. You guys can't even pray right. You can't even pray right. So you, you ask anybody, do you pray as much as you think you should. And the only person who might raise their hand is like a brand new believer. But nobody feels as if they pray as much as they should. Or they pray as fervently as they should. It says that Jesus, when he prayed, he would cry out with loud cryings and groanings. He would cry out and appealing to his Father. I mean, how often do we do that? That's how Jesus prayed. We have that one picture of, of him in the garden doing it, but that's not the only time he did it, because, because the Bible speaks of it differently. So in, in, in Romans, in Romans, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. And although he was a son, he learned a Obedience from the things which he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Wow. And having been made <clears throat> perfect, he became, <clears throat> he became to those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. Who of us really prays as we should? So it says that we need the Spirit to help us. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we, we do not know how to pray as we should. Ain't that the truth? I mean, we really don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There are multiple times in the Bible where it says, and Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And now the Spirit intercedes for us. I mean, it's God's doing everything. I mean, He's carrying all the weight. We think we're carrying so much, it's really Him who's carrying it. 
The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some people say, well, you don't have this until you have the gift of tongues. This can't be speaking about the gift of tongues. I'm not against the gift of tongues, but this verse can't be. You know why? Because it says, with groanings too deep for words. The gift of tongues is words. It's not in the language that you might know, but it's words. This is with groanings too deep for words. That's what this is about. This is with groanings that can't be uttered. This is too deep for words. This is with groanings too deep for words. And if the Spirit is doing it, it can't be messed up. You look in, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when, when the gift of tongues comes, it's the individual who's speaking it. It's the individual who's speaking it. And it's talking about, you know, you can mess up with that. It can be abused. And so Paul is trying to give him some instruction. If it were really the Spirit doing it, it can't be abused. Because the Spirit doesn't mess it up. Because the Spirit doesn't sin. You know, it said there's not a ghost of a chance that it would mess up if, if the Spirit were really doing it. And and uh, um, so so this Spirit Himself, He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When you're... When you're beyond words, when you don't know how to pray anymore, the Spirit says, no problem. Let me take over from here. Just This will be a tag team. Just tag me and I'll take it, take it from here. And the Spirit takes over with groanings that cannot be uttered. Too deep for words. It's just amazing. The Spirit just takes over. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We might be going through something and praying and we're not even hitting the right thing. And the Spirit says, let me handle this one. And He goes right at the issue. And He starts interceding for us. Do you see how wonderful God is? He provides for us the Spirit who intercedes for us. He provides for us Jesus through whom comes all comfort. One day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to say, I didn't do anything on my own. It was all because of Jesus. It was all because of God filling me with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's all because of Him. It really is all because of Him. That's why all glory forever and ever goes to Jesus. And you know what He does? He says, I want you to come and I want you to share in my inheritance. And you are going to return with me when I come. And you're going to reign with me on this earth. I'm going to reign with you? I mean, he constantly brings us in to sharing with him. Oh, I pray that you would love Jesus more as a result of this teaching, that you would love Him all the more. Remember, you can never praise Him enough. Jesus has opened the door for everything. He is so good, so good, and He's never done with us. He says, unless I go away, the Spirit won't come. And so He goes away, He gives us His Spirit, and that Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We can't express it. And the Spirit takes over, and He knows exactly how to pray according to the will of God. And then the Bible tells us multiple times that Jesus intercedes for us in prayer. And we just say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your comfort. I got through this because of you. Let's pray.
Abba, Father, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord Most High. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given to us over and over again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done, for you have opened up access to the Holy Spirit in our lives, who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You have brought us into your kingdom. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. You invite us to be children, heirs of God. You invite us to this new phase of glorification. Lord, why? Why are you so good to us? You are so good. Forever and ever we shall praise you, Lord Jesus. Forever and ever. The Lord Jesus is so good. And Lord, thank you that we can participate in your resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies, so that this spirit, this new life, this new nature that you put within us will be united one day with a new body. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for the unbelievers who cannot know this, who cannot experience this because they don't yet know you. Father, I pray that this day they would cry out, Jesus is Lord and he has risen from the dead. Father, save a soul this day, I pray. Save a soul. And Father, for the believers, I pray that you would firm them up in their faith, that they would love you all the more, that they would see that you are the comfort, their comfort in all their affliction, that you have warned us that persecutions and sufferings will come in our life, but you are the God of all comfort, and that you would comfort them so that they can likewise comfort others. Father, thank you that in everything we can rest in you, because in everything you will be our comfort. Glory be to God. Glory be to his name. Glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen.